0: All right, well, I'm in Sydney, Australia today, so I'm very glad to be talking to someone about hydrogen, which is something that I've been trying to learn a lot about in the last week. So Justin Pitts has mm. currently flown in from Perth in Sydney to Sydney out, and uh, yeah, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal uh, podcast. Thanks for
1: inviting me, Mark. It's um, yeah, awesome to, to meet you and uh, great timing that I was in Sydney and we could um, get together and had this conversation,
0: so I actually saw Blue Blue Diamond Machinery a while ago mm-hmm. online, and I've seen you at the, a few events. But you seem to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I guess before we get into where you are at with Blue Diamond Machinery, like, how did you personally first get involved in the equipment rental industry?
1: Yeah, yeah I guess. Um, well, taking a step back in terms of uh, where Blue Diamond originated from, I guess would be would would. Would, be, uh, would make sense. So we're 10 years old today, almost to the day. Uh, so um, myself, my brother, Brad, and Chris, three partners, three directors, uh, we started the business um, from a standing start 10 years ago. So um, prior to that, uh, Brad and myself were working in our family business that my dad and his brother had started um, back in 77. And uh, both of us had worked there as kids sort of um, uh, growing up through school, school holidays, that kind of thing. Um, And uh, we both, you know, went to uni and had various stops along the way and had other experiences, travelled overseas and so forth. But but our family business was always part of our career and um, I guess um, part of our life when we were growing up. So at some point, um, uh, Dad got approached to... Buy the business, or Dad and his brother Ken got approached to buy the business. So, and that was, um, and that was a very interesting period. We ultimately um, sold out to like a private equity group, and then there was a bit of a roll-up of different companies. And um, eventually, it became a from what was quite a successful, well-known Western Australian business. It became a national business. Um, I stayed on there as a general manager for um, for uh, five years. So I worked in Melbourne for a couple of years, and uh, yeah, so from there it was. Uh, Brad had moved on to a different career path. I stayed at the, the family company. Well, what was that? Was the family company? What was the name, sorry? Uh, Total Eden was the name of the company, and uh, it's since um, been resold again. So it's now actually called Nutrium, which is a huge uh, Canadian uh, conglomerate. But it's still quite a well-known brand in in Western Australia. Um, so they sold the company. Stayed on for five years. Brad and myself were both um, probably not overly. Um, excited about staying in the the corporate roles that we had at the time Um, whilst I was learning a lot Mm. um, working in a corporate environment having come from a family business um, and Brad had gone into sort of financial services broking um, we both really wanted to get back into having a just a a private business that we could drive and grow so we looked at buying different businesses like we didn't have a lot of capital available but you know um, we'd spoken to the bank about potentially borrowing some money to buy a business we spoke to business brokers we were looking at different ways of just having our own business um ultimately you know spent probably a year doing that or maybe even longer we decided to start a business on our own um i guess started from from scratch um we didn't want to go back into our families in industry which was uh the irrigation and pumping industry um one just for ethical reasons like didn't want to be seen to be leveraging off um you know i guess the work that um, well, Dad's, Dad had sold the business, so we didn't want to be going out there and competing with um, our old friends and colleagues and all that sort of stuff, which plenty of people do. Um, but also, you know, we'd been in that industry our whole life and we're probably a little bit sick of it, to be honest, so we were looking for something new. So we, don't, we didn't have any direct history within the equipment industry as such. Um, going back to that point, we uh, literally just canvassing ideas, throwing our own ideas. Just so happens that my father-in-law um sold his business around the same time as my dad and he had a uh very different to what we are now but a very successful um import distribution business but a lot of he said a lot of the key products that moved in that business were generators compressors and things like that mm-hmm. so um we didn't re- i mean i understood generators we used them a lot in the irrigation industry i understood what they were air compressors, I probably didn't have a lot of understanding about, I have much better understanding now. Um, but he was able to give us some insight into an industry we didn't know about. So um, from there, we, we just, we started researching uh, the industry, researching um, different suppliers, looking at different companies in the industry and what they're doing, how they're presenting themselves, uh, just trying to get a head around it, I guess. Um, and um, it, it seemed to make sense to us. Uh, it, we're, in, we're based in Perth, um, we're a national company now, but at that point we're obviously looking for something that's gonna work in WA. WA is effectively mining and, um, and agriculture, the two key key markets, so it made sense to mm. go after a product range that would suit the mining and, and agricultural markets, so, um, so we, uh, yeah, we, it was as simple as, um, Brad and I, well, Brad and I come from a sales marketing background, we realized very quickly we don't know anything about supporting the machines, uh, fixing the machines, even had to turn the things on at that stage. Uh, so we brought in a third partner, Chris, who's um, uh, one of our school friends. So Chris is, uh, uh, had been working in mining for 20 years at that point um, and is a you know qualified trade mechanical fitter. So, um, so, so from there, it was the three of us. We went to China, we went to Singapore, we found some suppliers and literally imported um, three containers of stock. Um, we set up a small yard in Welshpool. Uh, which was uh, pretty pretty humble it was 200 square meters we bought one truck had a forklift ordered the containers um, set up the website put it out in the paper and um, just waited for the phone to ring and um, <laughs> luckily it did and um, you know we sold literally sold all that kit within you know a month or something and thought shit now we've got no stock and um, and obviously reployed that to capital bought more stock and so at that point, we were probably more looking at it as a, as a broad industrial rather than anything specific or anything. Um, we had n- n- no real clear strategy as to where we are going other than we wanted to have um, a broad product range, which covered uh, both mining, agriculture, um, and we wanted uh, a counter-cyclical kind of product range, which, uh, you know, if, if we, we started in 2012, mining was just crashing. So... It had gone from absolute boom times to uh, we were literally starting the business as you know mining services companies are going broke left, right, and centre. There's an excess of equipment in the market, so we I guess we started with um, a, a very broad product base, but as we evolved, um, the power generation side of things really I guess took off for us, and so from so from being starting off quite broad. Uh, we've taken I guess particularly over the last five years we've embraced the power generation side and really focused in on that and I guess that's what's led us to um, where we are now which is uh, you know 70% of our business is power generation and the only products we sell whilst we still have some legacy products that we keep that are sort of unrelated they are related in a way because they're the same customers so it might be some of the smaller product ranges Mm -hmm. that are still that we still sell but Ultimately, it's power, lighting, and compressors. So, how we got in the rental industry? Um, I mean, we don't, we're obviously a supplier to the rental industry. We don't look to go out and be a, a rental company. Probably the catalyst for that really was um, when we got the agency for Denyo. So, Denyo are um, a uh, very well known brand in the industry, they're Japanese built, uh, very strong. Uh, reputation in mining and construction so I think having we really wanted to elevate because at that point we were um, we did have some quality products but we didn't have a really strong brand to leverage off it was just really the work we had done our own contacts our own um, our own marketing that had got us to that sort of five-year point which was quite um, wasn't an easy journey to there and it certainly wasn't easy to convince Daniel to give us um, distribution when we're a relatively young company but getting Denyo, um, I guess there was always an existing market for it, there was existing customers for it, customers knew it. So that gave us an opportunity, or more of an opportunity, to start selling some real volume into the rental industry. So, um, so now that's created a lot of strong relationships with, obviously, the, the, the big rental companies like Canards and uh, Coates and Onsite, and these types of guys. Onsite were already um, a big customer of, uh, of Denyo, and still are. Um, so that, that's probably been the, the, the main catalyst to get us involved in the rental industry and, and I guess um, expand that um, presence further. Mm. So um, last three, are bar I think one, we've done three or four of the high 22 um, uh, events now and, and really focusing in that as a core market for us.
0: Yeah. And so fast forward yeah. to today, coming up to the 10 years, like what's the dynamic of the business now in terms of size?
1: Yep. So... so Ten years later, um, still the three of us. Uh, so Brad, Chris, and myself uh, both actively work in the business. Uh, we our the, the business has obviously grown. We've got um, over sixty staff. Uh, we've got we've moved Perth. Uh, this is the third time we've moved it uh, only a couple of years ago, and hopefully that's where we're staying. Um, so it's a much much bigger facility in Perth. Um, it's ten thousand square meters. Uh, with a pretty significant workshop. We've got a lot of technicians, electricians, and so forth to not only um, up-spec the equipment to the customer's requirements, but also um, support in the field as well. So Perth's still our main base, no doubt about that. Um, but our Melbourne branch is very strong. It's not on the same scale, but it's definitely, it's like a mini version of Perth in the sense that uh, it's got um, sales, technicians, support, stock. Same in Brisbane. We've got the operation there. So we've got the 60 staff, three branches. Um, I guess you'd say, yeah, national presence now. And I guess from your perspective, that's what you're seeing is us um, evolve into a national company. Uh, Within the next month, we'll have our Sydney branch open. And that's the, I guess the last box tick in terms of that side of it, being a truly national company.
0: So growing that business Mm. in 10 years and coming in really fresh Mm. to the industry, has there been a lot of challenges about learning about what customers actually want? What products they need, how to actually run the business from maintaining the equipment, yeah. all that sort of stuff that goes along with it. So, so why do you think Blue Diamond Machinery was successful in the early days and where you got it to today?
1: I think it's be. I mean, it's really hard to start a business from scratch and because um, you don't have any customers, you don't have anything. You have to go and employ, uh, deploy capital that you may or not get back. There's a lot of pressure. You've obviously given up your job, but ultimately we all just turned up every day and kept going. Um, and I think that really is the key. The fact that it's it's our business. It's up to us to make it work. So Brad, literally day one, it's Brad and myself on the phones. Chris is out the back fixing any stuff that comes in or whatever. So, but turning up every day and just keep going through that period. But I think just getting through those first few years in particular to a point where we could at least start earning some money out of the business because at that point we're all just drawing down on savings and debt and all the rest of it just to keep um, our lives ticking along. So uh, the, the key reason for success, I think, ultimately, at the, in the early stages was just um, the commitment to make it work it had to work. We had no other – we had no plan B. Yeah. So, um, so we're all in. Um, and I think picking the, um, the the right industry, like I think uh, you know, um, having that insight into um, – an industry we knew nothing about, to be honest, uh, through my father in law was important because it was what we were looking for. We wanted something that was exposed to, at that point, we didn't really know the rental industry would become a key customer of ours. And we wouldn't even have attempted in our first five years to really even try and sell to the rental industry because we didn't, we were still learning and and we certainly didn't want to go out there and, you know, go to Coates Hire and say, hey, come and buy our generators we've just brought in from China and we're trying to work out, you know, the, the whole the whole industry ourselves but but so um so yeah just getting to that point where we fully understood the market fully understood the product ranges, got some really good agencies and not just Danio, uh but also their lighting towers and air compressors and so forth um from that five-year point has just has just enabled us has given us a platform to move into like a more of a national kind of role but um but i think you know also no one knows how partnerships are going to work um that's really tricky, particularly with your brother. Um, at times, we've obviously all had our ups and downs where you, um, where everyone's under pressure. Um, but I think, obviously, we chose a team that worked. Um, it's not perfect, but it's worked. So we've all managed to stay together, stay in there and get the business to a point now where it is exciting to be there. It is fun, um, whereas it's probably hard to say the same about the first few years.
0: Is there a specific challenge that you can remember that you... Like, you can sort of think back and go, that period was tough. Is there a moment?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, look, I mean, cash flow is hard for every business and the industry we're in is highly cash um, intensive. And I think one of the reasons we have been successful is we have always ordered a lot of stock and we've always had stock available. So there's been periods where, yeah, we're literally saying to the bank, guys, can't make the payment and you just string it out for a month and they've been Westpac been really supportive in that sense in the early days um, I guess that tension brings you know some conflict and some uh, not not you know necessarily in the amongst the partnership but it brings tension and so I wouldn't say there's one specific moment there's probably been dozens of them mm-hmm. um, but yeah mainly in those first few years you've obviously got all the compliance stuff you're trying to understand with the products Get, getting to the point where we start employing people uh, was then a challenge because then we're, um, you know, being able to attract people when you were that small and, you know, you're um, you a
0: vision to you, them, really.
1: Yeah, you know, exactly a player of choice at that point. You, what, you know, what's our vision at that point? It's just to stay in business. So we don't really have a lot of uh, shiny um, prospectus or, uh, you know, brochures that we could show. Um, so, yeah, really challenging in the early days. Um, one particular moment, no, but yeah, definitely that. First five period, we five year period, we moved into another building um, over that period, um, which was really good. That sort of felt like we we'll, we were stepping up, and it and uh, it just so happened. I mean, sometimes you need a little bit of fate, you need a little bit of luck. It happened to be across the road from what who turned out to be one of our biggest customers at the time, and is still um, a really good customer of ours, Linkforce um, Engineering. They're a uh, mining services business in Western Australia, and uh, some of the guys there were just like, they literally came in, walked in, and said, "Blue Diamond." You know, the hell you guys do? <laughs> and um, we're like, well, we're not too, not too sure, actually. But um, we t- you know, literally come around and show them the equipment, the generators. Um, so from there, they became uh, a customer, literally day one. And uh, I guess gave us more of an insight into mining and what they want and the specifications and that kind of thing. So there was a little bit of luck in that move. Um, and uh, and that was really good. And they're still good friends and good, good customers to this day. Um, but yeah, we outgrew that within probably a couple of years and then uh you know three years ago we um so at that stage we had stock like literally parked at five different locations and very inefficient um the warehouse looked horrible it wasn't we we probably under-resourced it because we're always mindful of going broke and having too many staff (laughs) so we were under-resourced so the place didn't present how we wanted it to we never put the money into signage and branding although we spent a lot on our website we didn't spend a lot of money on the way our operation looked and felt because um, we just didn't have it basically so it was not so whilst we were moving forward it, it it did look like a bit of a rabble at times and so we finally got the i guess the capacity to to, to move and we found a much better location and, and now i finally feel like we we've got it to a point where i'm proud that if say like a a rio tinto or a BHP or a canard tire walks through the door we don't i don't have to tell the guys and give them two weeks notice to clean up it's any day they can walk in it looks good feels good and this is how we operate, so um, so yeah, it's been a definitely a progression um, and uh, and but uh, ultimately now we're in a you know, in a reasonably strong position.
0: so I want to touch on something a little bit more further because I think you you gave a little bit of a insight into what can make a business successful as well. You mentioned that that, that mining company would come into your business and then mm. they would tell you what they needed yeah i think a lot of people start businesses and they think that they already know everything yeah and they go out there and they're pitching rather than listening yeah uh if you didn't listen to what they said they yeah would go, oh, just another company that just wants to throw generators at me or whatever it yeah, is. Exa- so, instead yeah. of saying oh no no this is the problem i have these are the specs i need this is why i need it yeah and then you not you pushing back saying no no no, you don't have to do it do it like this so is yeah. that like something that like is ingrained into like the the culture
1: yeah 100 percent you nailed it um I think because we didn't know the industry, we were really listening to anyone that would try and help us. Um, And I mean, what we ended up doing with them at that point is is not a core part of our business. We ended up um, procuring uh, 10 um, 40-foot containers to be made into uh, worksite workshops. So we found a supplier in China. We went to China. We got all the uh, designs done through an engineering company and sold them, you know, A bunch of these containers for their um, work sites but so at that point we're just happy to do anything and we're still happy to do stuff like that or customize anything for key customers but 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 ultimately yes because it it with all the any any opportunity we got to speak to a really good uh, rental customer or a really good mining customer we would really try and pull out the information in terms of what they're buying what sort of spec um, and that today you know, we're still interested in what and still learning every day. Um, it's going back to sort of like uh, reasons for success as well. Um, I think a lot of companies once they get to a certain size, there's an instant um, response to try putting barriers up to customers um, to make you less accessible. And we run a very flat sales structure. So to this day, Brad and myself still sit in the showroom. Yes, we're not there every single day and don't serve every customer there's we have obviously um, a a team philosophy about the customer side is they ring they don't get a messaging machine they get through to someone then so we don't run receptionists we don't run um, uh, recording we don't um, take messages I mean yes we miss calls but that's not intentional the the idea is the phone rings it gets answered and it's answered by, answered by someone who knows about the products so um, customer can ring up and okay it might be sales or support um, but they get through to the person straight away that's really important so um, so I think in those early days when customers were ringing up it's literally just Brad and myself answering the phone for those first few years mm. and then like we didn't trust anyone to answer the phone because we needed that sale um, it was only when to be honest, like Mark answered the phone one day and sold something. And I said, shit, What? how did you sell that? He doesn't even know where it is. And he still doesn't know what half the stuff he is he sells, but he's, he's just had a knack for selling. And I guess that was the first point with, okay, let's get some other people involved in the sales and, and uh, let go of some of that responsibility and uh so that and and then obviously as it goes you bring more people in and they do the same and he's able to teach them and um so now we're able to focus on more of the the key accounts and not so much just um the smaller customers that come in are just as important to us but obviously we can't deal with everyone that walks through the door um but if someone walks in and has a complaint or some sort of issue by uh, the proud myself are there to, to deal with it um and we're always available to our customers so um I, like anyone trying to you ring up some larger companies for example trying to get through to someone to actually get um to get a pricing or to get a solution um i don't think unless you're a big name customer yourself you might find it quite hard Mm. to actually get through so whereas i guess we found ourselves in a position where yeah we're not perfect but we're available we're there we're hungry um and so people were giving us a chance and probably at that point we were probably a fair bit cheaper than everyone as well because we were, you know, trying to get ourselves into the market and all the rest of it. So,
0: yeah, I think the challenge of that is trying to scale that. Mm. Like, I think customers, they, they get addicted to that surface. That's right. Like, if I try and call Qantas to talk about getting a refund on my flight, I have to go yeah, through Yeah, good like, luck. <laughs> it's just a, a loophole after loophole. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think a couple of things there. One, it's letting go of the reins a little bit. Yeah. You can't control everything constantly. Yeah. You need to know that, other people need, need to be able to brew their own success within the business. Yeah. And then be trying to scale that to a point where you're at a national level. If you can take that that type of service and put it to a national level, yeah. it's a bit of a game changer, I think.
1: Yeah, 100%. And that's, that's our 100%, that is that's a hundred. That is a definite goal, and but it's challenging. Um, uh, we've since had some HR challenges like everyone has over COVID. Um, I feel like we've put some really good people in um, at a national level to focus on our operations and training i think COVID taught us a lot because i mean we literally opened our melbourne uh, brisbane branch during the COVID period so we had we had uh we had a branch operating with six staff and we hadn't been there um and we had two million bucks worth of stock in there and but we'd had one of our guys from melbourne move across there so there was a taking some of that dna over there and being able to start it and he was a good young motivated guy but i think what we didn't do once the reins were open and we could travel again uh we didn't get back on the horse fast enough and so i think it's become very apparent that we need to spend far more time with our people i felt obviously take responsibility for that that potentially if we were there um and were able to um share the vision of where we're going better um and and to um to really engage them on a personal level face to face um i think everyone started i started taking teams meetings as real meetings and you know they're they're not um so so to your point getting i think that's going to be a key part of it is just maintaining that personal contact with all our staff making sure that they're aware that's what we want we want Mm. that personal service we want to be available to our customers we don't want to be hiding behind, um, you know, big walls and public, assist- uh, you know, PR, P- uh, sorry, um, receptionist-type staff or whatever it is, you know, we are the front line. So mm-hmm. um, so that's definitely something we're not going to change.
0: Yeah. Now, look, I want to talk about hydrogen for yeah. a bit. So but before we get into it, I remember I was, I was in Adelaide and I was, I was walking through the Higher 22 convention and I was, I was walking through everywhere and I got sort of the back section and turned left and then I just saw this huge white thing. Mm. I was like is that a generator like that mm. I've like, <laughs> never seen a generator like it stands out with the white like yeah. I've never seen one like that before and I walked over to it and it was it was huge like it's, it's bigger than anything I've ever sort of seen at the trade show before and mm. I think we were talking before that it, like it weighs how, that's
1: five 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 and a half ton wow yeah, it's crazy yeah.
0: so, so I saw that and it caught my attention straight yeah. away yeah. I was like okay this is interesting so I've got to find out more about it so I started yeah. doing a bit more research and um, I was actually in that same time flying to the US to Texas to do a podcast around um, gas powered generators Okay, yep. so I was doing a bit of study because in, in, it's, it's very common in, in Texas so and I thought oh, I've got to come back and I want to learn about this hydrogen generator because I, I haven't seen anything on the market mm. so far um, did a bit of research so mm. maybe before we get into what it is like mm-hmm. ha- how do you like because hydrogen is a new market Yeah. basically like how do you start getting into a new market
1: yeah um yeah so it's quite interesting and we've been going down this rabbit hole pretty aggressively for the past 12 months and 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 there has been a lot of history with hydrogen i mean there's been buses in hydrogen running on hydrogen london you know going back you know decades um but it's it's definitely become a refreshed and it's seen as uh, a pathway to you know a, a clean cleaner energy source and and all the rest of it so there's it's clearly very topical now the the opportunity with we, we i guess taking a step back we i mean we, we ended up a power generation business we didn't it wasn't our intention when we started the business so i guess that fluidness with what we are um is open to change without a lot of i i we we started to feel quite exposed to the fact that we were a diesel generator company um and suddenly become Quite good at it, and had a lot invested in it. And as the um, as the political winds started to change, and the the awareness of CO2 emissions and global warming, and what we could start seeing what was happening in Europe with uh, some of the restrictions on uh, not only just the engine uh, emissions, but some of the new technologies that were coming out. Uh, Going back even three years ago, we, we, we had started to, we went, Brad myself went to Borma in Germany to try and get our heads around what, what's available um, that we could go and uh, put in our product mix that was going to be a, a cleaner alternative to diesel. Um, and, but even going back as close as three years ago, there was really nothing. It's, it, I mean, I wouldn't say nothing. There was nothing that was clearly obvious to, to us anyway, um, and certainly nothing that made anywhere near economic sense. Um, there was some battery technologies happening and, and some hybrid systems and so forth, but it was it didn't stack up anywhere near commercially viable. Um, so the hydrogen was always of interest because it um, it's 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 um, it's, it's clearly got um, a lot of different applications within mining and construction. And so we were I mean, how I found De- Deodev is literally by googling <laughs> um, hydrogen generators. So, come across this company, uh, and EADEV's the, the manufacturer of our hydrogen generator, the GH2. Literally saw online a 100 kVA um, hydrogen fuel generator and thought, wow, that is exactly what we want. Our, 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 our range, I mean, we're not, we're really, really quite good at the, the market between 20 kVA to 200 kVA. So, it was sort of right in our sweet spot. It looked, like a generator, take your point. It doesn't look like any other generator, but it still was designed for construction mm-hmm. in the sense that it had fork points, it had lifting hooks, it had a robust canopy, so it was portable. So we wanted something that was robust, portable, that suited our customers, which is construction, mining, rental. Uh, so we'd really seen nothing else like it. So, um, and I don't think I mean there are obviously other people making hydrogen power generators, but I don't think at this point, anyone's packaged up something quite like that no, yet. No, I don't think so. Um, so, so, yeah, we um, probably a little bit naively, to be honest, um, uh, just thought, wow, awesome, let's just go after this agency. So we um, approached Stefan uh, as an international sales manager at EA Dev, probably to the point of harassment, I guess, um, in the early stages at late at night because um, he's, yes, yeah, we were looking at, but Australia as a market but who the hell are you <laughs> uh, and uh, clearly there's there's a lot bigger companies than us that, that that could have taken on distribution and and some of their distributors over overseas are you know the big boys um, so we needed to prove to them that we were capable um, of of taking that to market so that was a, a period of a few months of um, obviously doing a lot of uh, work around our capabilities and all the rest of it and so it was a little bit cut before the horse. We were so excited to get the agency. In the end, we were just like, "Yay, we've got it!" And ordered some stock and let's go. Um, and so then we sort of said, "All right, let's look at hydrogen and how we actually how we actually sell these. <laughs> how things. How do we actually
0: fill this thing up? <laughs> well, for, yeah,
1: first of all, yeah, exactly. How do we how do we fill it up? How do we? I mean, all the basic stuff that everyone's asking me every day, we had no idea about that stuff. But we saw it as such a good looking product they'd done some awesome promos overseas where they lit up the Eiffel tower and it just it, it just we just had to have it so um so we got it we ordered some stock but they're, they're quite expensive um so we're sort of we're all in um, and then we started reaching out to some hydrogen um, i guess specialists engineers and so forth and then really started trying to get our heads around the packaging the compliance um, and the availability of hydrogen and, and how we're going to make this thing work. We saw it operating in Europe, so surely it can operate in Australia. It's just a matter of um, sorting out our own supply chain with hydrogen and the compliance. Tick, tick, done. Um, sounds easy. Um, wasn't. Um, we're very lucky that um, over the course of that period, um, the, the, the product, yeah, they have a, have a shareholder, a Toyota International or a shareholder, and uh, also that the unit is run by a Toyota fuel cell. So, um, and that was another reason that we were attracted to it. We, you know, obviously Toyota is a great brand and they're the, one of the leaders in, in the hydrogen fuel cell um, industry. Um, so there were reasons to have confidence that we were on the right track with, with the product. Uh, but Toyota Australia approached us and said, essentially, um, after a few discussions, we'd like to help you and support you. Um, and so parallel to us waiting for our inventory, which is, um, to be here shortly. Um, just as a side, we've ordered the, the next generation model. So it's taken a little bit longer to get here. It's a little bit more compact to the unit. You saw it to show it's got the new next generation fuel cell, a little bit more power. So there were some really good reasons to just wait an extra few months. Um, so Toyota flew in one of the so the, the units that, um, are on our website and have been on LinkedIn as the um, original model. So Toyota actually flew one of those units in, um, and God knows what that cost them, um, and have taken the compliance side of things off our hands. So uh, the Toyota Hydrogen Center in Melbourne, uh, led by Matt, um, and he's got, obviously got a team, uh, Joel and Lisa, and, uh, and then he has some supporting engineers, Arthur. These guys and Lisa have been instrumental in actually assisting us to get the machine market ready. Um, and they've leveraged off their knowledge of the hydrogen industry through their Mirai car. They actually produce hydrogen at Alterna, so they're across the standards. Um, but even that has been challenging, even from them, there are still a couple of small things that we need to sort out more like quite small, minor details, but things that need to be addressed. Um, so the, so recent promotions we've had to do, we've had to, um, to get some special approvals to do them because there, um, there is still a couple of compliance boxes to tick. But um, but yeah, so, uh, and from there it's been understanding the industry, trying to understand the applications. And so uh, we've spent like hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of hours with no words of exaggeration uh, talking to uh, uh, some, some engineers in that space, specialists in that area, just understanding where you get the hydrogen, the difference between green and gray and uh, what's it look like going forward? How do we, how do we? I mean, firstly, sell the units. But okay, it's all very well for us to order the first three, but we're not looking. We're not doing this to, for it to be a promotional LinkedIn one-off. We want it to be a um, a product that is uh, that can transform the market. Um, so so we've we now have a, a clear. Uh, group of partners, I guess, in the, in the hydrogen supply side of things. There's ATCO in Western Australia, a uh, really good guy. Russell runs, uh, runs that. Um, and then we've got VOC gases and there's air liquid and, um, and there's, um, there's uh, core gas in New South Wales. So there's a, we've got a network of people now that we're working on getting pricing, understanding the delivery of hydrogen to site is not just like diesel. There is more standards. Mm-hmm. It is a little bit more um there are uh, well standards is the interesting point there are no standards but delivering hydrogen through standards it's a dangerous good so it needs to be done by a um obviously someone with that type of license um so it's definitely an evolution uh, the hydrogen industry is, is is brand new what a lot of people are really interested in with this product from the hydrogen industry is that it does show a very clear application for hydrogen um as opposed to it just being a source of energy for um, you know running uh, a mine site or running mm. in pa- pumping into the grid or something like that it's a mobile um, application for it so like a car uh, or like a truck it's another application and there's not that many mobile products at the moment in the market that um that run on hydrogen so uh, so talking to government we've spoken to the west australian government hydrogen uh, minister alana McTinnon we've spoken with New South Wales um, government. Um, and, and and I think that's what they are really excited about is they see potential for another use for, you know, the investment in hydrogen. Mm. So, um, but at the moment, uh, it, to, in, the reality is at the moment, um, there's a lot of investment. There's a lot of uh, new plants coming online, um, electrolyzer plants. Most of these plants now will be coming on will be green. And that is that, it, that it's powered by, renewable energy um so we're not really achieving anything if we are using um hydrogen that's you know that it's being powered by liquid gas or yeah coal-fired power station no, that's to
0: find it as great as it then
1: ah uh, yeah there's a bunch of different colors um but yeah uh, essentially i'm going to get this wrong but basically green is 100 percent green that's fact so that needs to be powered by um wind or solar a renewable energy source right uh, but there's a bunch of other colors depending on what the power um, is. It could be nuclear, it could be this, it could be that. But ultimately, yeah, grey I think is um, a common uh, generalization. Uh, it's you know it might be powered by uh, t- you know not not completely green power source True. basically. So you know so yes, it still might be far less emissions than running a diesel generator. Um, it might be eighty percent better or ninety percent better, but it's not one hundred percent clean. Mm. So if that if that machine is running off green hydrogen all that it's emitting is water so there is no emissions so um and that's the amazing thing about it to be honest and that's and that's you know if you consider how many thousands of diesel generators are chugging away out there and we know because we have sold a lot of them um uh you know there's 10,000 alone in the west australian mining market just chugging away uh running ball fields and dewatering mm. pumps and that kind of stuff. So if we can get this technology into those types of markets, um, it could have real impact on uh, the, the emissions, the global yeah. emissions, Australia's ambitions. Yeah. So, so,
0: so I, um, I was listening to a podcast and I heard uh, two, two things jumped out at me. Uh, one was that Microsoft runs all their data centers yeah. on, on diesel generators at the moment. And they've put forward an initiative to replace all of the generators in their data centers with hydrogen generators. Yeah. So I think they've been doing a trial uh, where they wanted to do like a, a fail test and then get the generator up and, up and running and then sort of maintain for a period of time and then prove it out. And I think they recently just passed that test. Okay. So now they're investing in trying to figure out how are we actually going to like um, get the fuel and all that sort of stuff to actually power it. And then I also saw that BHP put forward an initiative. I think yep. it was thirty six billion dollars through to twenty fifty they're gonna put forward to try and get hydrogen as their main source for generation yep. power as well. Which like just hearing those two things, like you mm. can hear the direction where people are going. I think but you need more people to come on board and, yeah. and singing the same song because there's always going to be haters. And it's like, oh generate diesel
1: is the only way to go, that sort of thing. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I've heard it so many times over the past six months while we've been pitching this and some of our other clean energy products, I've got diesel in my blood and it's like, okay, fair enough. But I mean, I, I have no, you know, it's like with the diesel generators, I, obviously they're going to play a part in our business for a long time. Yeah, the, the transition is not easy. It's, it's going to uh, take a bit of time. But yeah, I mean, those types of investments are critical. Um, so some of the mine sites, for example, will literally build their own power source. So, and this is where, I mean, it's not just a, uh, an environmental um, consideration. It's a, uh, if you look at what's happened with COVID, with supply chain, cost of diesel going through the roof, um, the issues in uh, with uh, Ukraine and uh, the energy crisis in Europe. Um, so, you know, if you look at our energy security, it's, it's actually a quite a significant national issue. We import, you know, don't know the number but obviously millions and millions of barrels of of diesel Um, so being able to produce our own energy source here that ultimately is also clean uh, makes a lot of sense Australia has a lot of sun a lot of space Um, you just need water as well which potentially is one barrier to um, building a a, a scaled um, electrolyzer to create the hydrogen But, um, but yeah it's companies like that that are investing that make it exciting and um, we know of several projects that are uh, that are a massive scale of companies doing similar things. So um, it's going to happen. the The issue is we've got now probably, I mean, my my story is uh, two years I think of uh, of of trying to manage that gap. Um, it hydrogen is available now. There might be instances where we have to use grey hydrogen in certain. Um, uh i guess demonstrations or trial runs and that kind of stuff but it's a pathway to getting where we want Mm. ultimately that's to have um you know thousands of these things out there running um off uh, green hydrogen so that's not going to happen next week but yeah it definitely needs uh the big big companies to get involved um and i think it needs some government assistance as well um you know we've spoken a lot with government and it's uh there is definitely a want to help and a want to be involved i'm just not quite sure they fully know what to do and that's not a criticism it's Mm -hmm. i think they're trying to understand you know what technologies are available what the applications are um and not just to throw money at things uh there there is funding available by the way for building um these types of projects but for a company like us that's actually just importing and i mean we're spending a lot of money on the engineering side and the um obviously investing a lot of money into the capital uh there's no real support for i guess someone to go out and spend a lot of money like that to bring products to market so customers can trial them and 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 you know like the um one of the guys at the water court we did a demonstration there the other day and they had um i think uh, about 12 of their engineers come out and because uh, we had some uh one of our, um, our battery systems there, um, which is from a company called Amps, which run, they replace um, diesel generators for um, uh, batteries to run tower cranes on construction sites. But he said, what I love about what you guys are doing is just you, you're bringing the stuff in and you're allowing us to touch it and feel it. And so for those guys being engineers, this stuff all needs to be trialed. It needs to be touched, felt. It needs to be put in the Pilbara where it's like on the moon with dust and heat. Mm. So you can't do that from a textbook or from... You know, overseas, it need, we need to have the equipment here. So, um, and that's been the awesome thing about having Toyota bring one forward. It's enabled us to touch and feel it. The reason I'm over east, we're doing customer demonstrations again next week, um, and that just builds the momentum. Um, so, uh, so yeah, but there is going to be a tricky period where the compliance is is not completely clear. Having a national framework around that is not there yet. So, there's no um, guidelines as such. So. Um, I guess t- this is where Toyota is so critical is because they're actually um, assisting make those guidelines and the operating procedures for this bit of equipment and so forth um, and we're contributing to that on the generator side because we know understand a lot of the um, I guess safety considerations on the on the on the on the generator market generally so um, so yeah it's been an interesting journey it's um, definitely not been easy uh, but y- you can see from the amount of interest and uh, the um, the amount of attention it gets, it's it's definitely feels like it's worthwhile, and it's uh, I guess straightened us up and really given us a a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, EoDev have a uh, product rollout um, plan, which is going to include. Uh, so this is the first unit, 100 uh, kVA. That's uh, that that is syncable uh, to up to, you know, potentially 10 plus units so to one megawatt. But they have uh, larger containerized units coming on the horizon, which will, again, be a game changer for the mining industry. Getting getting larger units uh, is really where the, the dial begins to move in terms of the volume of hydrogen you need, for one, but also uh, the, the CO2 and um, uh, emission savings that, that, that can be made. So that's the exciting bit. Um, and to have a, a partner like that back us in, have uh, a really they have a really... Um, uh, a, a, aggressive is the wrong word, but uh, dynamic team culture um, and they're, they're expanding rapidly. So they're, mm. they're in sort of startup mode themselves in a way. Well, they are a startup essentially. So they have that same energy and, and that want to learn and what are the applications and, and they're looking at um, you know purchase power agreements, for example, which is something we hadn't really considered. So that might be while the capital costs are high and the hydrogen costs are a little bit higher than where ultimately they need to be you know doing purchase power agreements for customers where they you know they don't pay for the amount of energy they use mm. different ways of getting these things into the market is, is what we're looking at now
0: yeah and you mentioned that the the cost of the the generator itself is 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 higher than typical of a, of a diesel generator and i think that's where when the solution gets proven out and it starts to grow more and more companies have it yeah. that's when the government needs to step in to have some type of fuel tax credit or something to try and help reduce that cost for those companies, yeah, um, something like that I think would be very useful for the market.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I, they are uh, like I think you can get like fifty percent funding to build like the electrolyzer plant, so that brings the capital cost down. Um, but just yeah, it's just going to. Uh, so yeah, definitely, I'd love to see something like that 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 bridges the gap. The the cost versus diesel is pr- getting pretty close. It's it's probably more the uh, lack of availability and also there's additional costs in. Uh, the transportation and so forth at the moment while uh, there's um, the the storage units aren't at a pressure that allows us to store enough energy to get enough uh, energy to site in in an efficient way. uh, There's a few challenges like that, but as that all improves, uh, the volume improves through EODev. I mean, they're, they're scaling up their production massively over the next 12 months, so um, you know, they're going to be in a position to produce in the hundreds of units per year, where at the moment it's it's, it's less than that, but that's, that new facility is in play and our units will be produced from there. So naturally as volume improve, improves, the, the price will come down. Um, that's, I mean, the, the the capital cost on this unit is a lot higher than a diesel generator. So it still has a, a long way to go. But the guys, the customers that have taken them on now and the trials that we're doing now, uh, for example, Kennard's uh, um, purchased two units. There, um, one of our one of our traditional diesel uh, customers by, by Daniel Office. Um, they see the benefit of uh, with some of their more progressive customers working in with them on some projects, just to understand it, just to get it onto site to, to see how it can work, and then. As those cost barriers become less, they'll be in a much better position to then uh, lead the market, I guess. Mm. Um, cost is not always the major consideration as well. Um, when you talk about, you know, tier one construction companies, um, I mean, construction companies are often under cost pressure on projects. And that is a reality. But there, there, there is government red tape sometimes on on projects to have an element of that um the power or the construction used to be renewables it might say it might be 10 percent. so government's driving it um, some of the the pull through on on that side of it so it might be an 800 million dollar project so if it means another 500 grand needs to be spent on this type of technology to win the job mm-hmm. um, you know the number becomes quite inconsequential um, so there's definitely applications at the moment where the price is not the key driver um but clearly that's not for everyone it's only the top guys can afford to do that um so to get you know mass penetration it needs to stack up economically or it just won't happen Mm. so um not everyone is just going to spend more money to save emissions um there are other benefits to the unit however they're very quiet so like you know in europe netflix have used them in um a lot of their uh, production for um or some of their TV shows and so forth uh, so I think the events industry um, will, will pay more just for the um, A, they're, they're generally very progressive type companies uh, so they want to have their own um, uh, emissions targets they want to meet but the, in, but it is a quiet unit which suits the rental industry Are yeah. uh, the uh, events industry
0: so, so what we're saying I'll look at the camera and I'll say like so Coats and Onsite need to jump on board and follow Kennards at the moment
1: Well I'd l- <laughs> love them to absolutely Um yeah uh, clearly we want everyone we'd love to sell them to everyone um i think there is going to be um a limited number of units available um this year we've got we've got um uh we've got six on order and two are sold there's some trials committed but there's definitely still some opportunities for other customers to get some units this year um uh this year to me is really about the promotion and getting the word out there and just letting people know that these are coming and uh, and getting some working trials done um, we need to um, uh, we've got some uh, some trials lined up in melbourne with actually with the toyota unit uh, in the next month so they'll actually be on uh, construction sites and the big unknown is and this is what will probably work more with uh, local engineers will be customizing it for the mining market because running in paris is a lot different to running in the pilbara so um, the heat how does the fuel cell respond running you know mm-hmm. um, at 50 degrees in with red dust everywhere so um, you know getting those types of trials done and that's what uh, you know the Water Corp in Western Australia are interested in doing some trials up up at Broome um, there's other miners that are interested in doing those types of trials so we need to get the real-world data how it operates on the ground even the consumption of the hydrogen uh, whilst we have data it's three to four kilos per hour at full load you know, how does the heat affect that? Uh, you, the, the cooling system runs more. And so, um, so yeah, this year is about promotion, getting it out there. Um, obviously, selling a few of these units would be nice. Um, which, uh, but And then really setting the platform and the base for next year where we can, you know, go next level with it.
0: So, so a couple of things come to mind. Um, because you want to learn so much about it, I'm assuming you're hooking it all up with telematics. So you've got all the data coming yep. in from the generators, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, now, one of the challenges when I was in Texas, and I was talking about gas power generators, mm-hmm. is that the gas actually is harder on the engine, uh, which means that there's more maintenance and all sort of stuff. Okay. So, so I don't know much about hydrogen. Yeah. How, how, do you know how it affects the engine at all? Uh,
1: well, these are these are fuel cells, so these aren't combustion engines. So um, So there are hydrogen engines... Uh, coming out and I think probably already available which is like a typical combustion engine running off hydrogen I think that would probably um, be, be a consideration there but um, I couldn't answer uh, how would it affect the fuel cell that one of the, the questions uh, regarding the fuel cell is because Toyota obviously don't their, their brand is so successful for a reason and that is they're very careful about what is said and the limitations they put on their products and all the rest of it so understanding in the real world over time how uh the fuel cell runs and performs and lasts is something that is just mm. not known because it just had the, the units have only been made for available for um, 18 months two years so so they know how it responds in their car in the mariah it's the same fuel cell it's in the car but over time a generator application is different different loads it could be you know much different conditions uh you know the loads could vary so you've obviously got a, a different application for the for the um fuel cell um yeah so the some of the figures that they've put on the life of the fuel cell uh different things like that are very conservative to what we're hoping will actually be in the real world um and that's for exactly the type of reason that you're talking about i guess mm. um so uh so yeah but very different to a um a, a typical The technology of a fuel cell is uh, very different to a combustion engine. Um, So it's... Yeah,
0: so let's talk about the maintenance side of them. Mm. So so let's say I've got a mining site and I've got a bunch of diesel generators and I've got a bunch of hydrogen generators and I know what happens with my diesel generator when it goes down. I might need to get a tech there, might Mm. need to log in and check what's going on. Like, do you know what the... When something goes wrong, what needs to happen then on your fuel cell engine?
1: Yeah, it's... It's, it's it's a something we put a lot of thought into. Um, particularly when you see it running, it's very simple, but at the same time, it's very complicated. So you've effectively got the power being delivered from a 45 um, kilowatt uh, lithium battery. So there's three components to the unit. You've got the battery, then you've got the fuel cell, and then you've got the, the top half of the generator is effectively just a big fan, for the cooling. So it's electric fan. So by that, it means it only turns on when the fuel cell reaches a certain temperature. So, so that's more efficient. Um, so to, to watch it work is pretty amazing. There's a computer on the on the unit. The power is coming from the lithium battery, so there's no noise at all. So just like a, any other uh, hybrid car or li- Tesla or whatever. Um, once the fuel cell uh, goes to say, sorry, once the battery drops to a certain percentage of uh, charge, that's when the fuel cell kicks in that produces the power to then recharge the battery. Once the fuel cell gets to a certain temperature, the fan will turn on. The fan might just turn on for a burst. It might not turn on for, uh, if it's, I imagine if it's the pill, it'll be on a lot. Um, but when we did the trials recently in Melbourne, you know, it was hardly on at all um, because it's Melbourne. Um, so, but to answer your question more specifically, the, the, the servicing is, just filters and so forth, which um pretty similar to a diesel engine at, um, I think, a 1,000-hour service charge, uh, service um, intervals. Um, in terms of support, we can envisage this being... Australia's a big country, as we know. Most techs on site are pretty good with diesel. They know what to do. We can talk them through troubleshooting issues. We're looking into... Um, yes, we'll be able to log in and see what's going on with the machine. But we're also trialling um, some... Uh, we've actually already started working on uh, implementing some uh, 3D goggles that we can attach to the side of the machine. So, so for two reasons, one for training. So when the engineers are actually setting up the unit, you can, we can show them through the goggles, uh, you know, connecting up the man packs to the, to the generator, the pre-start process, all that kind of thing. But also uh, we could log in from our head office, for example, and, uh, see what the tech's seeing and talk them through, you know, some oh. diagnostic things. Wow. Um, I mean, these are expensive bits of equipment. Uh, it's new technology. So, I mean, uh, in the short term, most of these jobs are going to be around the metropolitan area. But as we go forward, yeah, we want, you know, mining's the the, the big, the big opportunity mining or well, oil and gas for that matter as well. Um, so the big regional locations are really where this thing off grid applications. Is where generators are used primarily yeah so getting it uh so having a support system that we can do without having someone there um is is, is going to be important and to be able to respond sort the customers issue out without flying someone out to Mackay or wherever it is um is is is, is something we're working on mm. so. yeah so
0: talking about trials so we're we'll talking before the podcast that toyota was actually uh powering parts of the marvel stadium yep. for the afl so we we'll talk about that experience and how yeah. that came down.
1: Yeah, that was that was that was awesome and terrifying at the same time. Um, so that was actually only one week after uh, Toyota had finally got the um, a uh, I should say at this point a provisional approval to run the unit because there is still some compliance hurdles um, which uh, will be worked through, but they just need to be worked through. Um, so they appro- so they got us involved as the distributor, obviously to. Um, to be involved with the testing of the unit, so that was a week before the Marvel event. So Toyota is a, a sponsor of the AFL, so their marketing team had um, come up with the idea to uh, to, to run the uh, hydrogen generator um, at at a uh, AFL game, which was a Saturday night, um, uh, pretty big game at Marvel Stadium. So the idea was that the generator would be on display. They're also displaying their uh, Toyota Mariah car. So this is a Toyota promotion. Nothing to do with Blue Diamond, but we're their uh, deployment partner for um, their promotional activities for their unit. Obviously, we're working with them because we're going to be selling and distributing the unit. So we're working in together on the compliance and um, different ideas for um, applications and different potential modifications, et cetera. Et cetera. So we did the, uh, the trials only the week before. So on the, the actual event, uh, so our role uh, was, uh, we worked in with uh, Joel, who's the operations manager, to um, to handle the logistics, which was basically just getting the machine to site and set up and all that sort of stuff. So we, we actually store it at our Melbourne branch now. Um, Shan is the manager of our Melbourne uh, branch, is a electrical contractor. So uh, quite, so everything was reasonably straightforward. However, the, for, whatever reason the coach's box was chosen as one of the uh areas to power um and i can see the reason because it was it was clearly going to be make it more interesting and uh, something they could talk to during the game and rather than just powering um a light switch or whatever and it was also powering the the marble sign at the uh front of the stadium so so there was quite a few concerns as it got closer from uh western bulldogs football team in afl regarding the um if the generator does fail and you know it had only been run for the first time in australia the week before so it it was not impossible that there was not an unforeseen event however i mean the toyota guys and their engineers were pretty all over it so there was not really a concern that it wouldn't work but there's always a fail safe right so the initial fail safe was just to have a manual switch that you know and that's we would we um and but the uh the uh, in the end that wasn't sufficient they estimated it might take 5 to 10 minutes to turn the power back on power goes off in the coach's box 5 to 10 minutes they lose all their screens, they lose the game potentially that might be an issue um, so um, leading up to within a couple of days of the event our team actually um, installed an ATS on the coach's box so we had a one line running from the generator to the coach's box with a separate ATS and then uh, one uh, 15 amp line just running to the uh, to the marble sign on the front of the stadium. So, um, so in the end, the actual load on the generator was, was very low. It was like 10% load. Um, so it did the job quite easily and the ATS didn't have to work, which was good. We'd been there on the Thursday night before and tested it and got to sit in the coach's box, it was really cool, and turned the generator off and tested it and the lights come back on and all that sort of stuff. So it was all set up um, mm. to to uh, to work well. And it was an amazing event and the content created from that um, absolutely valuable got a lot of exposure um and yeah so and hopefully we can work with Toyota on other events like that because it was really I mean it's clearly something different that is out of our normal day-to-day thing and I our all our we had several of our staff there I think I know they're all excited to be a part of it and it's not something you get the experience to do every day mm-hmm. so just being uh being able to be involved in it was awesome and the fact that we could assist Toyota in that way um our strength is the electrical generator power delivery side and obviously their strength is in the hydrogen gas side so the combination is working quite well at the moment with with uh getting the product into the market
0: Mm. how was your stress levels on friday
1: oh it was a nightmare (laughs) it was a nightmare so um yeah it was it was every time a goal was kicked they would dim the lights at the stadium and i just thought oh my god what's happened (laughs) um and uh there was actually a, a waft of smoke wafting across the ground and one of my mates texts me and said is that is that smoke coming from your generator I was like, what smoke <laughs> what are you talking about um obviously toyota had a lot of i mean there was we were confident everything would be fine but of course until it it, it, it f- all happens you, you, you had the toyota engineer there arthur and joel and those guys are all over it and we had um my team there as well so and if yeah, so it was it was never in doubt. But until it of course until you get to the first end time. of it, yeah. Um, but you know, and Toyota had a lot of their um, senior people there, and um, so it wouldn't have been a, a nice feeling if it had failed.
0: Yeah, no, that's super exciting. Yeah. I think uh, it's hard taking on initiatives like this because there's a, a bit of risk on the, your part as well. Like you're yeah. spending a lot of time and money on this new technology to bring into the business and take it at a national level. Yeah. Um, if you think back to like Tesla with Elon Musk and and mm. trying to get into that, like all the pressure that went into that. And obviously, I'm not mm. saying it's the same scale. Yeah, sure. But you, know, you know what I mean? Like, like they mm. for your shareholders. Like this is a risk. This is a big yeah. risk.
1: Now, nah, spot on. And uh, yeah, it's 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 not insignificant the amount of money we have put in relative to our size and capacity. Um, look, if if these machines don't sell and the battery units we've got ordered prove to be uneconomic, end of the day you know, we will we'll have to stop. Um, but we're seeing enough. So yes, we're taking a significant risk and that risk, if, if everything we're doing failed, it would it would hurt us financially um, significantly. Um, but we're seeing enough to be confident mm. that it's not going to fail. I think it's going to be hard. And I don't think, like the biggest cost at the moment has probably been to our time. And like for Brad and myself in particular, uh, have spent the last 12 months in a lot of meetings with... Uh, engineers and so forth where you know that could have been time spent with customers um, selling our traditional products so if anything it's taken our um, our focus off our core business we're lucky that we've got some really good guys that have kept that firing along and Brad and myself uh, don't get me wrong still have direct dealing with our customers and all the rest of it but there's only a certain amount of hours in the day and it's taken a lot of time so that's, that's probably been the biggest risk um, just that taking your eye off the ball so we're very cognizant of The only way that we're getting this, able to get this technology into the market is because our core business is going strong and our core business involves selling diesel generators. So we're not going out there and saying we're God's gift to saving the planet because we still have to do that. But we are contributing in a way that I don't think anyone else is Mm. in our industry and that we are uh, investing a lot of our time and a lot of our money to, um, to try and I guess lead lead the uh, the transition to be ahead of the curve yeah. um, so it's just something that really interested us and uh, yeah so we're 10 years in and I, I just kind of feel like it's the right time for us to to pivot and, it, and, it, and it's not something that we could you know we're not pivoting 360 it's still our core business it's the same customers so it's it's giving us we're being able to leverage off the work we've already done to bring this new technology to market so so yeah the risks are the, the return on investment is quite low or they're not there at all uh, the risks are the some of the technology doesn't perform as well as we'd hope and there might be some extra work that needs to be done locally to to customize or expecting that that's gonna be a big part of it um so yeah it's um it's definitely not lost on me the the risk but um i think we even just Steve being here with you today being able to talk about this rather than just selling diesel generators and traditional stuff that we've done um is more interesting and more exciting so yeah. It's given, yeah, it's given it's given us a bit of purpose and a bit of a, a why. Why are we doing this? Yeah,
0: I think you need. You know, at the start of the podcast, you were talking about when you started the business with your business partners. Like, no, wasn't an option. Like, mm. you, you had to have that, yeah, that startup mentality to push through and grind and yeah. do whatever it takes. You sort of need that mentality with this as well. Like, yeah. things are going to be hard for the next two, three years, or whatever, five years, whatever it's going to be that's right um, and anytime that things become too much it's like I right, take a step back and make sure that we understand our purpose and why we're doing this make sure that we understand what our customers want and they're on the same page stuff like that and because and, yeah it's uh, I think some people underestimate how much starting a business and doing an initiative this drags your energy oh yeah like it's very straining yeah. on your business and your yeah. friends and family and, and all sorts of stuff. So, yeah. how, how do you manage all that stress?
1: Yeah, uh, it's funny you say that. It's been uh, a talking point at home at the moment because, I mean, uh, Europe comes online at when I'm, you know, six PM or seven PM or whatever. So you start talking to our suppliers that are mostly overseas at that time, and um, so I guess my level of engagement and I'd say the same with my brother has there was the startup of the business where it was obviously through the roof and then it probably dropped to a point where hey lifestyle's good we've got this business it's going well and now it's going get exactly back into startup phase but probably even higher because it's national um and the stakes are higher and like you say it just has to work so there's a period now where you know for example customer trials in melbourne um if that was just with our core business i wouldn't have. to fly to Melbourne to do that, but I feel obligated to make sure that it works and it goes well and there's no issues. So yeah, at this stage we need to be all over it. Um, managing stress, like everyone got, everyone's got their own techniques. Um, mine involves going for a run, have, maybe having a couple of beers and a, 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 a glass of wine at night. But um, yeah, I think uh, it's 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 not. There's no easy answer to that. Um, I think uh, having the ability to just—I mean, having gone through a lot of highs and lows—it's—it's never—it's a bit of a cliche, but it's—it's it's never as bad as it seems, and it's never as good as it seems. So, so we celebrate success, but we don't get too carried away with it as well. We try and just keep it level and um, and sort of sort of have a bit of that personality in myself, I guess. But um, you know, don't get too excited when things are going back really well because you know next month might be might be tough, but. Mm. Um, so yeah, no easy answer to that, but um, but uh, I think the uh, fact that it's uh, it's it's been so enjoyable and rewarding, and the business is starting to get recognised, and we're able to um, I think get a lot of satisfaction from repositioning our business from uh, what was probably seen as a Perth-based um, s- supplier to something more um, professional and something that's actually adding value to the industry is is been pretty rewarding so far yeah
0: that's awesome mm-hmm. all right justin well thank you for coming on the rental journal podcast cool. no
1: thanks for having me it's been really fun yeah